0: Um, You guys, today is going to look a little bit different than normal. Uh, Normally, I come up here and I try a few crummy jokes and you guys pretend to laugh and all of that. And then um, we dive into a little message from the scripture. Um, And that's just because we are a community of people following after Jesus. And Jesus always kind of points us back to the word of God. And so that's kind of our pattern and our habit. It's a part of the historical church from the very beginning, but Today's a little bit different, unfortunately, because there's been a a, a tragedy uh, in the Riverbend family. Some of you have already heard about it. Um, Sam, who you know as our kids director and youth director now, and just like he leads the table at Alpha, he's an incredible guy, um, amazing man of God. I actually see a lot of uh, myself in him, which he would never take, but... um, uh, but but I really do respect the heck out of this guy. Uh, and his wife, Julie, who you also know, is incredible. She um, was uh, 37 weeks pregnant with their firstborn daughter, Renly. And this week, very suddenly and very tragically, Renly passed away um, and went to go be with the Lord. And um, Julie had been like kind of in and out of the hospital. Um, because she was in like pre-term or pre-labor contractions and all of that. And then um, Wednesday morning, she was at home and just wasn't feeling the baby moving like she normally does. So they kind of rushed into the hospital. And, um, and then unfortunately, it was confirmed that they could no longer find Renly's heartbeat and she had um, tragically passed away. And um, so Sam asked me to share this with you Um, so that you can be praying for them, so that you can support them. Um, I know that you'll want to do that. And um, we are a praying church. And so one of the main reasons why we're sharing this with you is so that you can pray for their healing and for their hope um, and for their grief process. But then um, they also have just asked for a little bit of privacy just simply because... um, It takes a minute to process everything that's gone on, and they're not quite ready to talk with everyone about it yet. But they did want you to know uh, about what's going on with them. And so I was um, wanting to share that with you. But um, I also just want to share that I'm super proud of them. I'm really, really proud of Julie and Sam because they've been navigating this unimaginable pain in um, an incredible week, in an incredible way. This week I saw them, I witnessed them, Um, processing their grief and facing it honestly. And I also just saw a lot of strength and a lot of courage and maturity in their faith. And uh, that's not to say that um, they don't have questions. They're definitely devastated and they're not okay. Um, You need to know that. But they have chosen to run deeper into the love of God and, and not away from it. And for that, I'm just really, really um, proud of them. But also, I just trust that the Lord is meeting them. Um, And I'm sorry for um, just sort of the heaviness of the morning uh, that this brings. You can probably tell that I'm not my normal sort of jovial self. And that's because I relate a lot to um, Sam and Julie's story. Many of you guys know that uh, six years ago, My wife and I lost our twin daughters, Hope and Brielle, in a very, very similar way. And so this week has just brought up all of those things. And as we've witnessed and seen our good friends who we love deeply experience something very similar, it's just been really, really hard. Just be honest. I didn't feel like coming up here today and sharing this with you guys because um, it's hard. And also we have... um, Sam's family's here at the the a.m. gathering, um, right over here, and um, they are also, as you can imagine, just stunned by what happened. Again, Renly has been really healthy, and we were all really looking forward to meeting them. Renly was actually um, named after um, Sam's dad, Ren, which I think is such a beautiful thing, and so... Um, it's, it's difficult to be pointed out in a gathering like this, especially since you're sort of visiting from out of town. But um, we just want to say on behalf of us to you guys, we're just consider ourselves a part of your extended family. We're just so deeply sorry for your loss. So uh, what I hope we can do right now, you guys, is just begin to pray for Sam and Julie, and then also for the Lawrence family who's visiting us. Um, and they have some some things I wanna share on the topic of grief and loss and where God is in all of this. So let's pray. Father, um, we come before you this morning um, grief stricken. Uh, many of us don't, including myself, don't have words to fully express just what this feels like. And this pain is, feels like more than we can bear. But we, we trust you, we choose to anchor our hope in you now. And we just thank you, God, for how you have received Renly into your house and that she is with you in your kingdom. And we just pray for her that as she sings and dances around your throne, that she would her life would actually have a lot of impact here on this earth. And we pray for our friends and our brother and our sister. We just ask that you'd be with them right now. We ask that you would be strengthening them. Give them courage to face the agony of today. And God, empower us as as friends. We ask that by your spirit, we would say the right things and not say the wrong things, and to mourn with the ones who are mourning and to weep with the ones who are weeping and to rejoice with the ones who are rejoicing. We also just um, need you now. It's a very American thing to do to just sort of gloss over pain with um, superficial emotional band-aids. To just kind of like offer platitudes and sort of mask over the pain that we're feeling. But God, we we can't here in this situation. We need you. We need your help. You said that you are a very present help in time of need. And so we just call on you for that. And we, in the name of Jesus, just ask that you would, in fact, make good on your promise today. And that you'd be near to us and near to our, to Julie and Sam. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you guys, I I woke up yesterday and um, knowing what had been happening with Julie and Sam, and Sam had asked me to share with you guys about what happened. And I was just feeling the need to go kind of completely off script today. Um, I'm supposed to be teaching on hypocrisy and judgmentalism in the Sermon on the Mount and removing logs from our eye before we can address the specks in other people's eye and how we can see the world clearly and all of that. It's a really important message from Jesus that we need to hear, which we're going to get to uh, next week. But um, I just dropped something pretty heavy on you guys. And right now, we're all just kind of thinking about our friends. We're thinking about our friends and what they're going through. And they're literally in agony right now. Right now, they're in agony. And we're sort of feeling that angst ourselves. And to be honest, uh, Julie and Sam are not the only ones who are reeling from very real suffering and pain. So according to the last statistic that I read a couple of years ago, 30 to 40% of moms experience infant loss in one form or another. Um, That was a couple of years ago. I don't know what the most current stat is. And again, many of you know our story. Um, My wife, uh, uh, May 10th, 2015, Mother's Day, um, is the day that we lost our daughters, Hope and Brielle, again, in a very, very similar way. Um, So, um, my sisters-in-law too. Like two of my sisters-in-law, I've got four sisters-in-law, two of them have experienced infant loss. I know many of you have as well. Um, This year, there have been many women, more than a couple, in our little church who have lost babies as well. And the death of a child is agonizing, and it's horrifying, because it's really probably the most unnatural thing for a parent to experience. Our kids are meant to outlive us. Our kids are meant to carry on our family line and to hopefully go further than us in our discipleship to Jesus and to like, carry on our legacy of like, fulfilling the mission of Jesus here on the earth. And when natural evil, things like disease and biological anomalies, which in all indication that's probably what it was in Renly's case, they, they, when they cause death and disease and stuff like that, it's just, it's just horrible. It's horrible. And um, it's not just infant loss that that we're going through, although that is a very real thing that we're all feeling in this moment. We've had friends uh, very recently, this last month, who've lost loved ones and family members to COVID. Um, One of my dearest friends, who is a part of our family here at Riverbend, she lost her sister in the prime of life to this fluke illness. And then my sister-in-law, she's in her early 40s and she's got stage four cancer. And we just got another scan this week and it's not looking good. Brooke, one of my best friends and one of the co-pastors here at Riverbend, he's on a leave of absence because of a chronic, severe, ongoing illness with his son. So um, I'm just looking at a room full of people who've experienced a fair amount of suffering and evil. That's just the nature of of life in this world Ill- illness and death is heavy and as a part of life on earth now as a general rule when you come here to church especially on just like what a beautiful day it is outside and everything that we have to look forward to for the rest of our weekend and all of that it's like we want you to leave here feeling like your spirits are uplifted feeling lighter and not heavier and that's not because we have like an artificial expectation that everything is awesome which by the way is an annoying song. The message is dumb. Everything's not awesome. So we're not wanting to make like trite superficial statements. We want you to feel lighter and freer when you leave Riverbend because you've had an encounter with God. So for example, I'm, I'm starting to prepare for our series on Advent, which is Christmas time. And since the second century, the historical church has celebrated the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem as a time where God ushers in his love, joy, hope, and peace. So when we think about Jesus coming into the world, that's what we should be feeling and picturing. So it's our firm belief that when you encounter Jesus, that's what you leave with. You leave being filled by his love, by his joy, by his hope, and by his peace. So Jesus in the Gospel of John says, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. So he's saying, yeah, life is heavy, and there's all kinds of suffering in it. In fact, Jesus promises us that we will, in fact, face suffering but he says, my peace, I'm going to leave with you. You carry the peace of Jesus with you. Now, I know what I'm saying. I know how that hits those of us who are cynical. And there's many like millennials and we're Pacific Northwesterners. And so we tend to be a bit more cynical and um, that's okay. Um, I also know that some of you are still just kind of stunned by what you heard about Renly, or maybe you're sort of new to the family. You don't know who we're talking about, but you're like, gosh, this, this is horrible. This is hard. So whatever the case, like I know what some of these things are, uh, what they mean to you and how they may be hitting you. So I'm not saying that Jesus is offering a superficial emotional band aid to cover over or mask your pain, um, in an artificial way. I'm saying that as you experience loss and as you grieve with your real suffering in life in the presence of God, he gently heals you over time. And he, um, And he wants to make you whole. That's actually one of the main messages of the Sermon on the Mount. He wants to make you whole. And it takes a bit of time. So as I've been praying over these last couple days, I've just been feeling like God wants to do a little something different in our gathering today. Um, So we're pivoting. We're going to be talking about something a bit different. I think the Holy Spirit wants to guide us into um, some more of his peace today. And I think the Lord wants to do some healing here in the room today. So we're going to invite the Holy Spirit in a moment. Um, to just bring healing to, um, to our souls, to our emotions. And he's good like that. So 34, I've been pastoring for a minute now. And um, I've also gone through a fair amount of loss and grief and suffering myself, mainly in the loss of my daughters. And I've found that we generally have two big questions for God uh, when it comes to this kind of loss. Really, there's hundreds of questions, but I've found that they basically fall into these two basic categories. Here's the questions. How could this happen? Like, this is the why God question. Why did this happen? How could God allow this to happen? What's going on right now? And the second one is, um, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? How can I possibly go on in this life now after losing a family member, or after the cancer diagnosis, or after the death of a marriage, or the death of a job, or the death of a dream, or something like that. How can I make this better, or how do I heal from this? And then if you're on the outside of this situation, as most of us are in this case, we wanna know how can we help? Like how can we help be a part of bringing healing in this situation? So I just wanna look at these questions um, together biblically. And then we'll um, ask God to bring healing and we're going to actually welcome the Holy Spirit here into the room. He is welcome here. He is in all of us, but he loves to be invited. And we're just going to ask him to do a work of healing in our hearts here as we um, wrap up today. So again, that first question, how does this happen? Where is God in all of this pain? Where is God in all of the evil that we see in the world? This is a question we've been asking even prior to things like Renly passing away just due to COVID and all the madness over the last little bit. Um, and there's um, there is a theological idea known as theodicy. And theodicy is uh, a way of um, understanding God's relationship to the evil that we experience in the world. What, where is God in the evil that we experience in the world? It's a massive topic we're not going to do deep dive on, but uh, the short version is that uh, the way that the, the Bible would describe evil is evil is anything and everything really that's wrong with the world. It's disease, illness, it's also the, the kingdom of darkness and um, things like that. Um, And the Orthodox Christian belief, as you know, is that God is everywhere, sees everything, and he has power or authority over everything. So if he's good, then why is there so much evil in the world? That is the central question of theodicy. We want to know why, if God is who he says he is, there's so much evil going on around us. Now, um, there's lots of facets to the debate, which we're not going to do justice here. I don't want to give you like a half answer or anything. But from a biblical perspective, it comes down to your view of God's sovereignty, mainly from the book of Isaiah. And sovereignty is the idea of how God chooses to rule over the universe that he created. So God is, in the language of Isaiah, sovereign or in control or ruling over the universe. And so your view of sovereignty is how does he do that? And in what way does he rule over the earth? And then secondly, it has to do with your view of God's providence. That's how does God's perfect will, that is morally perfect and awesome and beautiful and right and good and true and all of that, how does God's perfect will interact with the details of real life in a broken world. So how do we see God in in and moving in all of this? How does his will interact with what we experience in the world? So I don't wanna do more harm than good, so I'm not gonna give you half answers to any of this, but when you hear people say that everything happens for a reason, it's all part of God's plan and things like that, that's saying something very specific. It's communicating something very specific about your uh, view of God's sovereignty and providence. And we heard a lot about a lot of this when um, we were uh, when we lost our daughters. A lot of people saying, "You know, hey, listen, everything happens for a reason. All of this is a part of God's plan." And um, it's it's not even there's a lot of truth to well many people were saying that but what we felt was just sort of like this weird dichotomy because a lot of those comments were coming from the same people who had weeks prior because our daughters were sick leading up to their birth and their 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 passing that they had said you know god told me that he's healing your daughters don't have to worry about it your daughters are going to be totally and completely fine they're healed in jesus name and all of that and then the next week when they pass away they're the same people are saying you know all this happens for a reason it's all part god's plan And I'm not saying this to like erode the fabric of Christian society, but I am saying this to say we're not really thinking clearly about God's relationship to our pain and our suffering and evil in our world. Because we're saying things about God that contradict him, that contradict the scripture, and even contradict ourselves and our own views. So the real question is, where is he really in all of this? And there's a lot that I don't know because there's a ton of mystery and there's a ton of marvelous depth to this. But I have in my study of the scriptures over the years and in my life with Jesus feel like I've come to a couple conclusions. And there's several things that I know for sure. And the first thing that I know for sure is that God created the universe good. Genesis chapter one, six different times, he says that he saw what he has made, and it was good. And then the seventh time, which is really significant in biblical numerology, the seventh time in Genesis 1, he says it's good. He says that's very good. So the opening scene of the scriptures, the origin story, the sort of uh, way that we frame all of existence is that God knows how to create good stuff, and he actually created it with your flourishing and with your good in mind. In fact, he, 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 in, in the Garden of Eden, it's the Garden of Delight. You've heard me say that again and again. The Garden of Eden is the Garden of Delight, and the idea that God has for you and for me, his original design, his original plan, includes what the biblical authors call shalom, which is still the Hebrew greeting today, like 6,000 years after these words were penned, these still have the Hebrew people um, greeting each other with that, that word shalom, which is flourishing, it's peace, In the language of Cornelius Plantinga Jr., um, shalom is right relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the rest of creation. And the opening image of the Bible depicts God making everything good. Peace and delight in relationship with God. We know that. I believe we can say we know that for certain. That's God's original design. We also know from the scriptures um, that God's will is perfect. We see that all throughout the the story of God. You see many different times the people of God appealing to him and saying, we know you're good. We know your will is good. We know your will is perfect. But the reality is, is that there's other wills at play in the universe. There is um, sort of the natural world. There is the kingdom of darkness. There are our wills as well. Um, First John 1 John 1.5 says that this is the gospel message that we have heard from him and announced to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. And so we know that there, are, because of the world, the way that God created the world, there are competing wills at play. We know that God's will continues to be one that is good. And yet, we have evil, suffering, death in in the world. Absolutely. The third thing that I know for certain is redemption is the mission of God. Redemption. And redemption is when God takes things that are evil and uses them for good. He takes things that are evil and uses them for good. So, Some people in their view of God's sovereignty and providence would say that God's actually responsible for evil. He's like meticulously sort of arranging things like Renly's death and saying, yeah, no, 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 that's God's plan and he had a purpose in it and it's all going to be revealed in time. And I respect many people who hold this position. However, I don't think that that's consistent with the message of the scripture. What we see instead is God being Broken and grieving evil and yet using evil and turning it for good. My fav- the introduction really of this is um, in Genesis chapter 50, which you're familiar with the story of the Bible. You know Genesis chapter 50 is like this really unique part of the story of God where God's original design had sort of devolved to the point where the people of God, um, Abraham's sons were infighting and there was like even threat of death and all of these things. And they're in Egypt, a very long ways away from the Garden of Eden where God designed us to be. And in Genesis chapter 50, it says, it says this. It says uh, Joseph is, is talking to his brothers. You guys are familiar with the story. Joseph's talking with his brothers and, it, and, um, and he's, he's assuring his brothers. He's saying, hey, listen, even though you guys tried to kill me those many years ago, Um, I'm not, I don't actually have uh, any vengeance in my heart towards you. In fact, um, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. What you meant for evil, God intended for good. In other words, God is not responsible for the evil that we experience in the world, or at least in the case of Joseph and his brothers, but he is saying he's actually taking the things that are broken and evil and he's manipulating evil to be good. So um, I would never say to someone like Julie and Sam, hey, you know what, this is what God wanted and this was all a part of God's plan. But I would say to someone like Julie and Sam, this sucks. God hates what happened to your daughter. It was not a part of his original plan. His original plan was for Eden, delight, Shalom, peace. This is the stuff that's opposite to that. But he has this crazy ability this sovereign power and this great control over the universe to take things that are horrible and use them for redemptive purposes and for good. Amen. For example, over the years, as I've shared the story of Hope and Brielle, we, Grace and I, my wife and I have had many, many women and men, but mainly women, who have never been able to open up about their infant loss or never been able to talk about their pain. Maybe it has to do with infant loss. Maybe it has to do with other things, but people have flocked to us um, to talk about what they're going through and God has brought healing through their death. He's not, we're not saying we're glad they died. We're not saying it was God's original design for them to pass away. We're saying that God has used that story to bring redemption. And even as I was sprinting to the hospital this Wednesday um, to hopefully hear the good news that Renly had pulled through. When I walked into that room and sat with Julie and Sam, I was able to tell them that God sees them and that God's near to the brokenhearted because I personally have experienced it myself. So God, takes things that are evil and uses them for good. So let's just recap so far. I think this is really important. Again, we need to think clearly about evil and God's relationship to it and suffering and his relationship to it. Um, So first of all, we know that God created the universe good. Second of all, we know that God's will is perfect. There's other wills at play. Third, we know that God is the author of redemption. And and redemption is what happens when God takes things that are evil and uses them for good. Number four, we know that God is near to the brokenhearted. We know this to be true. For example, you can look at Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So again, um, we have this relationship to God where he comes near to us. So the way that we... um, are often tempted to think about evil is that God doesn't see or care or know or uh, even get his hands dirty or whatever. But the reality is is that because Jesus came to earth and identifies with our pain and our suffering, we know that he is well acquainted with suffering and we know um, according to the scriptures that he is like a safe refuge. In fact, actually, if you just read through the Psalms, you can see like three quarters of them are written by David or one of the other um, psalmists, and they're just crying out to God about the gap between the reality of their situation, the very deep pain that they're experiencing, and what God has promised, and they're saying, God, where are you in all of this? And then the psalmist is often reminded that he is right there with them. Um, sees you. This is um, this concept is um, in the scripture uh, originates with the story of Hagar. You guys remember Hagar? Hagar gets a really raw deal, um, where she's impregnated by Abraham, who's supposed to be God's man, and he and Sarah really screw it up. Sorry for if that that language messes you up or is offensive to you, but the reality is that Hagar gets a really really raw deal. She's essentially cast out of the only home that she's ever known with her son, Ishmael, in the middle of a dry desert. And um, she's left with basically nothing. And then God shows up and God speaks to her. And he speaks blessing over her and over Ishmael. And then this is what Hagar says says this she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her you are the God who sees me for she said I have now seen the one who sees me so this is something we need to remind Julie and Sam and these are the kinds of reminders that we need when we're going through suffering is that God is not aloof Or standing far off, he sees us in our pain. He also understands our pain. Isaiah chapter 53. This is, in fact, one of my favorite scriptures on the subject. Verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like the one whom people hide their face, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. And surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God and afflicted. So this, this anointed one, this king, this one who is um, coming to save us in the language of the Bible, he is well acquainted with grief. So not only does he see us, he understands and he empathizes with our pain. That's important. And then, of course, um, the 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 scripture. I think probably the only thing that really brings hope in a situation like this is the promise that God is with us. We were reminded in Isaiah that that um, when Jesus comes or when the the promised one comes, He is going to be called Emmanuel or God with us. And um, there's nothing that tomorrow. There's nothing that will be said today. No magic prayer that's prayed this moment so that Julie and Sam's pain will just immediately disappear. And those of you who are going through things yourselves, I'm looking at the room and I'm just reminded of my good friend here in the third row who lost his wife um, prematurely to cancer. And it's just like the, 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 there's the consolation and the true hope is found in knowing that God sees, understands, and is with us in all of it. And then, um, and then the other thing, the last thing that we know for certain is that um, salvation or we're saved when God takes upon himself the full effect of, of humanity's evil. So I've just sort of laid out for you in a kind of a like careful way that I don't actually believe God is responsible for evil. I think he's responding to it and he's redeeming it. But it goes much further than that. He's not only not responsible for evil, but he's also, he is responsible for saving us from evil. And it cost him the ultimate price. So in other words, he is um, entering our broken story and through the cross, through his death on the cross, he is actually solving for the problem of evil. So he knows, he understands, he sees, and he's also the one who's ultimately solving for evil in our lives. So the answer to the problem of evil, I would say, is Jesus hanging on the cross. It's not actually philosophical arguments about like who's responsible for evil and how does it work and the different wills at play. The, the real response or the real answer to the problem of evil is that Jesus came down and he gave his life. And because of that, we... we can be saved and rescued from it. And then as a part of that, he's making everything new. This is another promise that we have from God. He's making everything new. Um, and then here's how we conclude that. We conclude by saying this, that the, other, the last thing we can know for certain is that um, the story's not over. And that evil and suffering and pain doesn't have the final word. And in fact, amen. And in fact, Jesus is promising to return and to come back. And I am devastated that Renly had, Renly passed away. And I'm devastated for you who've lost family members to COVID and have gone through some very real and very horrible things over the last couple of years. But my hope is that stories like Renly, stories like my hope and Brielle, will actually pull us great deeper into that promise that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is returning. that We don't actually have hope in our idyllic life that we could build for ourselves here on this earth. Like we actually detach ourselves from the American dream of saying it's actually all going to be like perfect here in this life. For someone like Julie and Sam right now, there's just no way that they can even envision that. Their life is not whole and it won't be whole. Even if all of their other dreams are realized, their baby, their daughter, their child is not with them here in this life. And the true hope that they have is that that she is with the Lord and that Jesus is coming back to redeem all of it, to make everything new in the language of the Bible. So this is where we anchor our hope. When we lost Hobman Brielle, one of our best friends in the whole world, um, his name's Jeff, he's one of the elders here. And he said to us, he said, you know, what's happened as um, you lost the girls is that we see something new in your spirit we see something that's been awakened in you, that your hope is in the real resurrection and that your heart has been pulled halfway to heaven. And that's what the loss of a loved one, the loss of somebody like Renly, the loss of Hope and Brielle, that's what, that's what it should do in us. It should um, spark in us a, a sense of desperation for the coming kingdom of God which is sparking us a sense of longing for the return of Jesus. And so right around the same time we lost Hub and Brielle right around the same time where we felt God was cementing our calling to plant this church. And the reason why was because we felt like, you know what, let's get on with our assignment. Let's get on with the mission that God has given us because we just want to move on. We just want to get to when life is whole again. We just want to be in the resurrection, in the new creation. So as you seek to want to help, um, I would just say that, um, like Jesus, our words um, oftentimes will come up short when it comes to helping Julie and Sam. But our presence and our care for them and our love for them We'll speak volumes. And um, there's some other things I wanted to say, but I think I'm going to skip. Because I just want to open up some time for um, healing prayer. I want to invite the Holy Spirit. And um, again, I apologize for how raw and how, like, um, I might be coming to you right now because um, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm, I'm actually not okay this morning either. And so, um, so this may have felt like a very different kind of a message in a very different kind of a time, and it is. But um, I felt like what God was asking me to do was to show up exactly how I am today, which is not great. And to just teach about what we know is true and then invite the Holy Spirit to come and heal. So God is present in our suffering and in our pain. Um, I uh, suck at poetry, but um, I tried it once. And it was when I was trying to find words for what I was going through. And it was um, on the one year anniversary of my daughter's passing. And um, uh, my, which also happened to be Mother's Day, right? So it's just like a really sucky thing. It still continues to be a horrible thing. Um, Mother's Day is not the same for our family, for my poor wife. Um, but I felt like the Lord had put something in my heart and I wanted to somehow get it out on paper. And so I did. And it's, I had a friend do an art piece associated with it and it hangs up in our bedroom and it's something that I look at often. And as I was um, just coming awake this morning, I was reminded of the poem, and I just thought I would share it with you. Um, And it's written from the perspective of my daughters um, in the presence of God. It says this. Love's light is shining all around us. And face to face, we gaze upon its source. And he holds us gently, speaking softly, while he holds all of power in his hands. And we dance to love, and our voices are lifted all around his throne. And we heard that you have something called tears, and that it gets dark where you are. Did you know about Love's hands or the scars on his feet? He says they're all that's left of pain and that by his wounds you're healed. And we see Love preparing the table like the feast is coming soon and his horse is standing ready at the gate. for when he tears open the sky. So hope in God our strength, Mommy. Because love is one day closer now. that is um, my hope. Sad love is one day closer. Um, Would you just open your hands with me? I'm sorry if this is a jarring experience because um, this may not be new or this may be new for you in a church gathering like this but just gonna invite Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just need you to come right now. We just need you to rain down on us like the scripture teaches you do. I just feel like for somebody here in the room, there's um, this scripture out of 2 Corinthians chapter one. It says that God is the God of all comfort, and He comforts us in all of our affliction. I feel like what He's saying to you is that He sees you, and He knows the depths of what's happened to you and he just wants to comfort you so Holy Spirit I just pray that right now you would bring your comfort say that you're near and so God we just ask you to come near to us we don't need nice ideas we don't need superficial emotional band-aids that cover over real grief and real pain is the hope in your victory. And what we need is your nearness. So again, Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you. I would ask you. what's going on in your spirit right now you could just be simply feeling feeling the the pain and feeling the, the loss along with Julie and Sam or maybe you're like just maybe Julie and Sam's loss is kind of emblematic of your loss and that's what you're actually focused on in the moment and that's okay As you take it to Him, and you're here in His presence. what happens is you begin to restore that in us. And so we just ask that you would do that right now. So we're just going to continue in this time where we respond to the healing of God. And um, so we're going to sing a couple of songs. I think that kind of ushers us well in... open, and um, the prayer wall is for you. There's not a weird stigma about going to receive prayer. Um, If I weren't up here leading, I would be going back to the prayer wall today, Um, and I'll certainly take your guys' prayers. The reality is that we all need, at times in our lives, a touch from the Holy Spirit, and we need someone else to guide us towards the cross and towards the healing that Jesus brings. And so, during the next couple of songs, I just want to invite you if, you're, um, need, if you need prayer for any reason, to just go visit Moses, Lorinda, Jenny in the back. And then we're also gonna take some communion together. Um, so come forward during the next song as well, grab the bread and the cup, and then after this next song, we're gonna take it together as a church. Um, Jesus, we we ask you to continue to move as we sing and as we take communion, as we receive prayer. We pray that you would uh, do the thing that you do, uh, the thing that God, we love you. We count on you. We need you for right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and uh, the tables are open, prayer walls open, and let's sing.